Anyone else? Okay. Well, we're going to be in First Peter, chapter one, again in our study and um, looking at the fear of God, conducting ourselves in fear during the time uh, that we have on earth. First Peter, chapter one, as we have been navigating through, as we have been looking. Um, at this study, as we have been digging in, and it has been uh, encouragement for my own soul, but some reminders for us as we consider this. Let's just look at verse 13 through 19. Let's just read those. Follow along with me, if you would. Verse 13 through 19 in First Peter, before we pray. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Keep sober in spirit. And remember, there's a therefore, and we say, what is that therefore there for? And we consider the verses 1 through 12. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Keep sober in spirit. Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lusts, which were yours in your ignorance, but like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in all your behavior. Because it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And our verses for us this evening, 17 through 19. If you address as Father the one who impartially judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves in fear during the time of your stay on earth knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your futile way of life, inherited from your forefathers, but with precious blood, as of a lamb, blemished, unblemished excuse me, and spotless, the blood of Christ. Let us pray. Father, we ask once again this evening that you would help us to have understanding of your word. God, that you would um, speak to our hearts uh, by the Holy Spirit, uh, with the Word of God, God, that you would help us to comprehend these things and that you would uh, indeed help us to live and conduct ourselves in the fear of the Lord as we are to be God-fearers. As we just touch on that this evening, the fear of God, that we would further understand that and we would look into that in more depth this week. We thank you that you hear our prayers, and we pray that you would uh, receive all glory this evening. In Jesus' name, amen. So um, we're reminded that we are to rejoice in what the Lord has done and our future inheritance. And tonight we just had a little taste of rejoicing and being thankful for uh, things in our life that we may consider small, uh, but the Lord is into all the details and then we're reminded as well, uh, or I will remind you of the indicatives and the imperatives that we see in Scripture. Uh, we see in the epistles as well, um, in the Scriptures, doctrine and then duty, uh, the indicatives and the imperatives, uh, the what and why and the how and what do we do. Three imperatives that we um, are, have been looking at, two we actually covered last time um, in the Scriptures from First Peter. Uh, when it is written that we are to fix our hope. That was one command. Second, it was to be holy. And third is to conduct yourselves in fear. And that is really what we will be looking at this evening. 
We have here in verse 17 through 21 a call and a command to fear. And in verse 22 through 25, we see a call and a command to love. Conducting yourselves in fear during the time of your stay on earth. Another translation puts it this way, since you call on a father who judges each man's work impartially, live your lives as strangers here in reverent fear. Because of our salvation and inheritance, which is imperishable, undefiled, and will not fade away, we should set our hope completely on Christ and His coming, be devoted to holiness, and to live in fear. Why should we live in fear? Over verse 18 through 21 tells us. We consider fear, and if I was to ask each one of us, we have a conversation about what do you fear in this life, or what brings fear in your heart, or what are you afraid of? I'm sure we could all think of something. There are phobias some of us have. There are things that we are just afraid of, and Um, As we consider the fear that Peter is speaking of, the fear of the Lord, it is uh, in many ways different. But when we consider the fear of the Lord, it's something that has fallen on hard times. Um, In many circles, when we talk about fearing God, the response is something along the lines of, well, you know, we don't want to be living in terror of God uh, he's our father. We, we, we shouldn't be afraid. Uh, then we also may hear on the other side, oh, oh, you mean live reverently, a healthy respect for God. And now for both of those, we, we find uh, somewhere in those statements a little, some truth. But are we to be terrified living in terror of God as believers? Or are we just supposed to have a healthy respect for God? Well, Tom Schreiner once again helps us out when he says this. Abject terror certainly does not fit with the joy and boldness of the Christian life. Reverence, however, can be watered down so that it becomes rather insipid. There is a kind of fear that does not contradict confidence. Peter contemplates judgment and the final standing before God where all believers will give an account and all unbelievers will be judged. So we ought to live in the fear of God as sojourners on earth. The fear of God is something we find throughout the Scriptures. A good resource is um, the forgotten fear, Where Have All the God-Fearers Gone by Albert Martin. Now when I hear that title, for some reason... If you've lived your life any length of time not knowing the Lord into your 20s, secular songs will still come to your mind. So when I hear, where have all the God-fearers gone? For some reason in my mind, the song comes in my head, where have all the cowboys gone? And so I try to replace that with, where have all the God-fearers gone? And I was singing that the other day uh, in the house, and Lindsay was there to uh, be blessed by my my voice. Anyhow, and if you consider Al Martin, if you're not familiar with Albert Martin, uh, speaking of fear, and you listen to his teachings for the first time, and you, 
you say, wow, I have never really heard much preaching like this. You may have some fear when you hear him. And rightly so. Um, if you listen to his teachings, he will, uh, you'll figure out very quickly that he's going to lay it out for you. And he's going to lay it out in a way that is unequivocally um, to grab your attention, to pierce your heart and to give glory to God. But he says this, nevertheless, in his book, uh, The Forgotten Fear, where have all the God-fearers gone? The fear of God is a massive and dominant theme in Scripture. It's also a theme that was prominent both in the thinking and in the preaching of our spiritual forefathers. Um, When our spiritual forefathers desired to describe someone who was characterized by genuine godliness... They would often call him a God-fearing man. That vernacular described of a Christian is something that we should still consider today. We should not hesitate to say, yes, indeed, so-and-so is a God-fearing man. The designation reflected the fact, he continues, that men realized the fear of God was nothing less than the soul of godliness. Take away the soul from the body, and all you have left in a few days is a stinking carcass, he says. Take away away the fear of God from any profession of godliness, and all that is left is a stinking carcass of Phariseeism, barren religiosity, or calculated hypocrisy. And depending on your translation of of the Word of God, there are up to 175 direct references to the fear of God in Scripture. Uh, Two Hebrew words and one Greek word for fear. When considering the fear of the God, we can look at two aspects of the fear, fear of God. And by no means will we exhaust this by any stretch this evening. We're just going to touch on it. There is the terror and dread of God, being afraid of God. And then there is the fear of reverence, which is couched in the love of God towards us and our love towards him. So as we consider our lives as Christians and we say, wow, you know, this really provoked fear in my heart of God. Do we stop and say, well, hold on a second. Is this fear or dread in my heart or or is this reverence for God? Uh, uh, Both and in, in some ways. Automatically, we often want to go with uh, right to the fear of reverence. Yet when we consider texts that speak of the terrible judgment of God, it is, as John, John Frame puts it, it would be wrong for us not to dread them. So when we consider a text in the, in the uh, Old Testament or New Testament about the judgment of God, Although we as Christians know, okay, this judgment that is uh, the Gospels is speaking about here, or what Paul is speaking about here, we will not face that. Yet we read that and we, we have in our hearts, uh, we, we dread them. We say, wow, there is a, a holy fear that is provoked in our hearts because of the, the text. The scriptures in, Old Testament, in the Old Testament, such as Psalm 119, verse 119, verse 120 which says, you have removed all the wicked of the earth like dross. Therefore, I love your testimonies. My flesh trembles for fear of you, and I am afraid of your judgments. This is the psalmist in Psalm 119, which we are going through on Sunday mornings, uh, as far as the reading of the scripture. 
and we consider what the psalmist says. Deuteronomy 17, 12 and 13 says, The man who acts presumptuously by not listening to the priest who stands there to serve the Lord your God, nor to the judge that men shall die, thus you shall purge the evil from Israel. Then all the people will hear and be afraid and will not act presumptuously again. And then in the New Testament, Matthew 10.28, this is a scripture you'll be familiar with. And there's something that is said also um, in Luke that is very similar. I'll just read these for you, give you the references. Matthew 10.28, Jesus says, Do not fear those who kill the body, but are unable to kill the soul. But rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. And in Luke 12, verse 4 and 5, he says something very similar. Jesus says, as he's speaking to the disciples, he says, Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Um, Then he goes on to say in verse 4, I say to you, my friends... Do not be afraid of those who kill the body and after that have no more that they can do. But I warn you whom to fear. My friends he is talking to. Fear the one who after he has killed has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. He's telling the disciples to fear the ever-living God. Hebrews 10.31, it is a terrifying thing to fall in the hands of the living God. A fear of this judgment of Almighty God does assist the believer and may hinder the believer from going headlong, all out, full-fledged into sin. When we say, uh, as Christians, when we walk in in our daily lives and we have opportunities to make decisions in our lives. We could do the right godly thing or we could commit sin. And we think about what in our lives uh, helps us to make the godly choice and what rationale, what reasons in our life do we say, no, 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 I'm going to do the right thing, the godly thing. Partially the reason of that is because of fear of God of who he is, a reverence and awe of God. And then also consequences, a love for God, because he has done such a a loving thing for us, but couched in a reverential fear. It is an outcome, a reverential fear An awe of God is an outcome of a heart set free by God. John Murray says, The fear of God is the soul of godliness. And you could see, as I read it uh, from Al Martin's book, as he quoted or paraphrased John Murray's statement. The fear of God is the soul of godliness. It is the fear which constrains adoration and love. It is the fear which consists in awe reverence, honor, and worship. John Frame again helps with this statement. A reverential fear of God is the 
sense of living in God's constant presence. Again, tomorrow we go out into the world once again. Throughout the week, we're living in um, the world, but not of the world. And we understand that we are in God's presence constantly. We live before God. He, He knows all things. He sees all things. And He is holy, so therefore we should walk in a reverential fear of God, knowing that we live in God's constant presence. With this in mind, uh, there are other texts I'd like to consider. I'm just going to reference these. I did not write them down for myself, so I'm going to turn to them as well. First stop will be in Deuteronomy 4.10. Deuteronomy 4.10, where it says, Remember the day you stood before the Lord, your God at Horeb, when the Lord said to me, Assemble the people to me, that I may let them hear my words, so that they may learn to fear me all the days they live on the earth, that they may teach, and that they may teach their children. Learn to fear God. And then in chapter 8, verse 6 of Deuteronomy, another verse you can jot down for later. Therefore you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God to walk in His ways and to fear Him. And then the Proverbs. We know early on in the Proverbs it has something to say for us on the fear of the Lord in chapter 3. Verse 7, do not be wise in your own eyes, but instead uh, do what? Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. That one verse there helps us out during, <laughs> during the week, does it not? Do not be wise in your own eyes. Okay, what should I do? Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. Makes it pretty simple for us. And then in chapter 9, Proverbs 9, verse 10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. So before we react, before we act, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. That's where we want to start. That's where we want to have um, our thinking couched in, our lives as we walk in this world couched in our fear and reverence of God. And then Job. You can go to Job chapter 1. Wrong way. Job chapter 1, verse 8. Remember the uh, Satan came before the Lord. Satan came and the Lord said to Satan, From where do you come? Satan answered the Lord and said, From roaming about on the earth and walking around on it. The Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? Let's hear the description of Job. For there is no one like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, fearing God and turning away from evil. Oh, that this would be the description of every single one of us here this evening. Blameless, upright, fearing God, turning away from evil. And then we see uh, something similar said about Job in in chapter 2, verse 3. 
after Satan was allowed to test Job the first time. And then in chapter 2, verse 3, the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? For there is no one like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, fearing God and turning away from evil. And he still holds fast his integrity, although you incited me against him to ruin him without cause. Job did not bow. Job did not bend. The fear of the Lord kept him. And then in chapter 28, 28 of Job, from Job's mouth, he says, And to man, he said, Behold, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. And depart from evil is understanding. It sounds quite a bit like Proverbs uh, chapter uh, three or chapter nine, verse ten. So, as we consider the the fear of the Lord, uh, living in in reverential awe of God, living in knowing that we um, we stand before God, knowing that we um, walk before Him, we live before Him. Live in the fear of God while you are strangers on this earth. It goes back to 1 Peter. Conduct yourselves in, the fe- in fear during the time of your stay on earth. Redeemed sinners, purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ, indwelt by the Holy Spirit, in a fallen, sin cursed world. Yes, strangers. Our heavenly reservation and inheritance creates a barrier between us and, and unbelievers. With, the, with those who, it creates a barrier with those who reject Jesus Christ. Because our uh, inheritance is reserved for us, because of where we are going, because of we live in the fear of the Lord, or we ought to, because we are strangers on this earth, we will have a rub with unbelievers. And we, some of us, see this every day. Some of us more so than others. Because we live in the fear of God, our values, our worldview is not of the world. And the world does not like it. And the world will be against it because the world is against Christ. But that ought not to deter us because of who we serve. Peter says, if you address as Father the One, if we call God our Father, He judges impartially and we are to fear Him. I like Shriner's comments once again here. God's tenderness and love as Father is mingled with His judgment and the fear that should mark Christians in this world. Peter did not think that the two themes negated each other, but are complementary. God is tender with us like a tender father would be, but we revere Him, we fear Him because we love Him. And so we, uh, the Spirit has, been, has worked in our hearts to which we cry out, Abba, Father, which is very different, by the way, of don't 
say, Daddy. Um, and this is uh, calling God Daddy, you know, like that. Some, I know you all know that, but I had to mention it. Um, it's, it, it shows a lack of reverence um, for the Lord. And, and some would do that and advocate for that. Abba, Father, is way different than, different than um, calling God like Daddy or something along those lines. Uh, we ought to approach God with fear and reverence, but also He is tender with us. Abba, Father. Two reasons why we should conduct ourselves in the fear of God. There's the negative and then there's the positive. There is the... Um, the do not and the, and the do, so to speak. The negative and the positive. Verse 18. Knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your futile way of life inherited from your forefathers. Conduct yourselves in, a, in fear during the time of your stay on earth, knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things. That's, that's the negative uh, p- portion of it. Knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things. Again, this word was mentioned in verse 7. Silver or gold, we, uh, that was mentioned this morning in the Psalms. This may be mentioned here because of uh, the association with worship of false gods and idols. This silver or gold from your futile way of life inherited from your forefathers. The point, silver and gold are valuable The billionaires of this world can buy almost anything, can't they? There's probably like four names I I could name or you could name of the people with the most money in the world. The richest man in the world or the richest woman in the world. They can buy this, they can buy that, and they think that they're gods and they can do this and this. And it gets exhausting, doesn't it? But they can't purchase their own redemption. And they cannot purchase your redemption or my redemption. What shall it profit a man be gained the whole world and forfeit his soul? Silver and gold may leave us while we live, but we must leave them both when we die. And then the positive side. Knowing that you're not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your futile way of life inherited from your forefathers, but you were redeemed how? With precious blood, as a lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. Saved by the blood of the crucified one, this precious blood, no one can live physically without blood, right? And no one can have everlasting life without precious blood being shed for them. A perfect, perfect, sinless sacrifice. What a love, what a cost. Blood signifies a life that was poured out to death. So we consider, as Peter would consider, As we go to the Old Testament, we would consider the blood of the Passover, the blood of the suffering servant in Isaiah 53, the blood here of the sacrificial lamb, and the blood in Peter as he speaks of the precious blood as of a lamb, unblemished and spotless, the blood 
of Christ. We're going to have one more hymn this evening. Andrew didn't know about it, but he does now. Mike didn't know about it, but I let him know. It is a hymn that I believe Andrew played earlier during the offering, during the offertory, and uh, he died for me, I believe it was. So I'll ask the brother to um, play that for us and our brother to lead us after I pray and consider the, the hymn and consider these words. Lord, as we looked at your word this evening, as we're reminded just briefly to conduct ourselves in fear during the time of our stay on earth, can we describe ourselves as God-fearers? As it says in the Old Testament about the, uh, a title of, of the Lord, the, the fear of Isaac. Can we say that about you, O Lord, as we bow the knee to you, as we pray to you that you are who we fear. You are who we live in reverence of. We live in awe of you. That it's said of of us that we are a God-fearing person. We cannot do such and such and we don't do this or that because we fear God, because we love God because Christ died for us. Help us to navigate through and to study out further, fearing you, knowing that we're not to be afraid as if someone was to jump around the corner and scare us, frighten us as we are going about our way, praising you, Lord. But we see the Scriptures of Judgment, judgment on the lost. It should cause us that fear in our hearts and it should cause us, Lord, to reach out to those who do not know you. As we go about our week, Lord, as we even lay our heads on our pillows this evening, God, we pray that you'd give us rest for our weary bodies, that you'd give us a heart set free continually, that you would give us a mind fixated upon you, that we would wake up, Lord, ready to get into the Word, your Word, to have solitude time with you, Lord, to have thankful hearts before you, and to live in the fear of you during our time on this earth. We do not know what comes this week, but you do, Lord. Prepare us, use us, sanctify us, help us, encourage us, rebuke us. Lord, that we would seek to honor you in all things. In Jesus' name, amen.